I want to talk today. Today, there is uh, no like great uh, point or three points or whatever. We are going to go hardcore into the Bible today, okay? But I want to start with, yeah, amen. So I want to start with this, though. Have you ever had this time where you had this calling on your life that's just really going to mess things up? Have you ever had these? Like these times where the Holy Spirit starts working in you, and you're like, uh-oh, this is going to mess up the plans that I had for myself. These moments when, like, it's just this gut check of the Holy Spirit doing something, or maybe there's a prophetic word that happens on your life, or maybe you're just in prayer time, and during that prayer time, it's like, okay, I feel like the Lord is going to do this, but I don't necessarily want to do it, right? It's going to mess it up. We, maybe it's, it's this hard conversation that you have to have with somebody at work that you don't think will ever change, or this family situation that you have just ignored forever and you don't think that the person's ever going to change. Or maybe it's these moments when you're walking in the grocery store. Have you ever had this? Because I have this often where like the Holy Spirit starts like gut checking you and saying, hey, you're supposed to say something to someone or you're supposed to encourage them or you're supposed to just give them even a smile. But it's these moments where you're like, oh, especially as Pacific Northwesterners, I consider myself that now, that you don't want to go out of your way to just kind of get into people's grills, right? It's a big thing. Maybe if you're a believer long enough, it's this call on your life where you're just like, oh, this is really going to rock my world. And if you've been a believer for a long time, there are going to be these moments where you get these calls in your life. Matter of fact, I have one. The reason I am up on this stage is because of a calling in my life. For many of you who don't know that we know the story of Kurt, but the story of Kurt was that I grew up uh, and I kind of gave myself my, my life to the Lord right in college and I decided that I was going to go study biblical studies. And when I studied biblical studies, I decided to intern and help this church plant for two years. I basically was an intern at a church. And a matter of fact, I don't know if I can say this, but I can say this because I feel like we're with family. I hated every minute of it. I wasn't very good at it. And that's fine. I don't know if I wasn't good at it, but it just wasn't for me. And so at 21, 22, it wasn't for me. And so I said, okay, I'm going to help in any ministry that I can but it will not be in the church. Fast forward 15, 20 years later, I guess 15 years later, I, am, I had worked my way through a variety of things. I had taken a position where I was, um, I was in charge of marketing for a ministry out of London. So I was traveling all over the world, and I had been uh, in London once a month. And so this ministry was tied to this church called Holy Trinity Brompton, HGB, and so I, had fl- I always flew on Saturday night. I took the red eye. I slept on the plane. And Sunday morning, I would always be at church. Now, here's a secret for every believer. And I want to say this. We haven't done this in a while because of a variety of things. When there's an opportunity to come up front in prayer, always do it. I know it's just something that I want to say. But the Lord works in mysterious ways when it comes to prayer. Sometimes you don't want him to work in mysterious ways. But he does work in mysterious ways. And so I'm in London, and I get prayed over, and the guy's praying over me. And it's one of those prayers, have you ever had it, where it's like, hey, this is great. Nothing's hitting, but it's great, you know? It's fine. It feels great. And he got done. At the end, he looks at me, and he says, do you have somebody to discern something with? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, I feel like the Lord is saying that you're supposed to go help your church. This is in London, right? And so I say, I don't think that's really what's happening, but that's fine. I'll explore it in some way, right? Well, my, my brother, he actually, he's here. It's amazing that we're sharing this story. Dave was at a place where he's like, hey, I started Redeemed Church. 
and I'm at a place where I need to move it along, right? And so for me, he said, hey, why don't you come and help me? That's the prophetic word. Why don't you come and help me, right? And so this was the thing that messed up our lives. It didn't really mess up our lives. I mean that nicely. I love you all. But Meg and I have been a part of this church for seven years. I think, I think we're going on like nine now. And this is my family, right? And so for me, it was this moment where it's like I had built up this career. I had built up this time traveling. I would built up this time, but the Lord comes in a mighty way. And for me, it messed up my life. And it was something that I really wanted to ignore until Dave and I had conversations like, well, why don't you come help me, right? And it's this thing where the story of this church, and we know exactly why the Lord orchestrated it, but that's why I'm here. Throughout my faith journey, I've always been able to relate to one biblical character. Well, I've been many biblical characters, but one in particular, and that is Gideon. And so today, we're going to live in Gideon. We're going to go through the whole Gideon story, all right? So we're going to be in Judges. And today, we are, we are continuing this, this series that we're starting all summer called Mind-Blowing Faith. These moments in the Bible that are just kind of mind-bending. They're mind-blowing. And we see this, that, that we, can, we always call you affectionately to follow Jesus and planet crazy. All right? That's what our call is, right? That if we sum it up, it's following Jesus and planning crazy. With that, it will require a level of mind-blowing or mind-bending faith. We talked about this last week. We do not want to be people of ordinary faith. We want to be people of extraordinary faith. So one of the dangers that I see is that we can um, hold these biblical characters up as these people that get a call and they just go right after it or that they take the land and they never look back, right? But we see throughout the biblical story that there's this time where we see that sometimes people need reassurance and we see God's grace on Gideon's life. And so we're gonna look at this because there's often a struggle with the calling. Look at it this way. Take Moses, for example. Moses, the greatest, one of the greatest leaders, right? We see this. He's called at the burning bush and his first response is this. It's not, let's go, let's go, let's go get the people out of Egypt. He says, who am I? He has this moment of feeling just underqualified. Like, who am I to do this, right? Then fast forward, he, he continues to kind of question it. He says, God, what if I go down there and they don't even listen to me, right? The leaders have these moments that they struggle with, these callings on their life. Abraham is told that he's going to have a child, and the first thing he does is fall on his face and start laughing because he's like, I'm 100 years old. This is not possible, right? These moments. But today we're going to look at God's grace to work with us and through us to carry out his work. Because we often talk about this as a church. The mission of this church is simply this, to see what the Father's doing and do that, to listen to the Holy Spirit who can only say what the Father tells him to do, to say, right? And we say, okay, Lord, if this is it, then this is my mission. This is what I'm going to do. The church becomes very stale. The church becomes infinite in some ways if we don't do this, if we don't live this way out. Holy Spirit, Father, what do you want to tell to me? Tell me to carry out the mission. God is orchestrating all of our lives to carry out and fulfill the mission of Redeemed Church. I am like a point guard. I am, I am a leader in the way, but my job is to put the ball in the right hands of the right person at the right time to, fill, to fulfill the mission that Redeem has on it, right? So each of you 
leave this room and you have these callings, these missions. One of the things that we're committed to at this church is to not get so uh, filled up with, with ministries and with things that bring you in that you guys don't get to go out and carry out the work. And it gets me so excited. Please, please, please text me. I can look at many people who do. When there's these moments where you, you feel the Lord moving, you move, and then you see God move in someone's life. That is redeemed being redeemed. Does that make sense? If that person never comes to redeemed church, great. But it's God carrying out his mission in our lives. So let's set the stage here because he's looking for humility. The book of Judges can really be a depressing read. We're going to be we're gonna be living in Judges. But if you want a depressing read, sometimes it's Judges because there aren't a lot of high points in the book of Judges. But the book speaks over and over again about corruption and sin and selfishness of the people of Israel and is a story that is a pattern of the human heart. Many of you will have this pattern in your own life, all right? But we generally see this, this happens. The people of Israel sin, okay? They generally follow a pattern of the Canaanites, right? The people that are living in the land, they somehow fall into the world instead of being a, diff, a different nation. They fall into the world. They start worshiping gods. They start doing sinful things, right? And so we see this, that God allows them to fall under the oppression of one of the leaders, and then God, Yahweh, raises up a new leader, and then he calls people back, to him, he or she calls people back to God, and then we see this. He delivers the people, and then it's a season of peace, and then what happens? It all happens again. They all do it again, all right? So we see this over and over again. So we're in Judges 6, and this is where we see the Israelites and Gideon. So we're going to read a lot here, but we're going to start Judges 6, 1 through 3. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them in the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. So Midianites are this group of people that have gained power, and they're getting this like alliance with the Amalekites. I knew I was going to mess it up and these other eastern people. So this is like, this is a big army that's coming. And what we see is that God gives the Israelites over to their hands for seven years, and they're oppressed by these people. Now, one thing is, is that they don't just fight the war. They don't just fight the Israelites. But now that they have oppression over them, they're going to plunder, and they're going to plunder everything, and they're going to plunder things very thoroughly. And so the Bible's going to skip down, but it's going to say, you can't keep sheep, you can't keep cows, you can't keep plants, you can't keep anything. And so we see this, that they ravage the land. And the Israelites now are in these hiding places, in these mountain areas. It's absolutely devastating, and it leaves the Israelite people with really very little hope. Very little hope. If this happened to us right now, there would be very little hope. We can look at the Israelites and be like, what's wrong with you? But no, if this happened where another group of people took over us and they didn't allow us to have any food or any livestock or anything, you, we, would be very, we wouldn't be very hopeful people, okay? And so the people repent and they cry out to God and there's this unnamed prophet that reminds Israel of the historical significance of the covenant, okay? And so what happens is this prophet emphasizes covenant theology. He says, look, 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 you guys, God brought you out of Egypt, right, the Exodus. He then said, you're going to get this land, and all you have to do 
is be, remain religiously faithful for his people. And so he gently reminds them, hey, this is why this is happening. But he's going to raise up Gideon, and we're going to see this. There's li- there is hope in Israel's deliverance through Gideon. And so now comes this angel, and this angel is going to be under this oak tree, okay? And so he's, this angel under the oak tree, and it's this, like, lovely setting when you think about it. The way the Bible paints it, this angel is just under this oak tree, and he's going to come, he's going to talk to Gideon. So what we do, we find that actually we find Gideon is threshing wheat, and he's in this wine press, okay? And this is, if you understand this, because this is so important for each one of us when we, when we get called, this is in a very humbling position. It sounds nice, it's under an oak tree, that's fine. But Gideon is in this very humbling place. It's re- important for us to remember this is where Gideon gets his call, okay? It gives you a lot of grace for Gideon. So after wheat is cut and dried, he's doing this mind-numbing thing. He's taking the stems of the wheat, right, and there's seeds on top, and he's threshing them by hand. All you city folk don't understand this, but us that grew up in farmland, it's like I used to have to go in 100-degree heat, and I know that I sound like an old person, but 100-degree heat in high school, I have to walk through fields of corn and the tassel. Have you ever heard of the tassel? Just pulling the tops off, getting cut, getting mosquito bites, getting just, it was just miserable. This is what he's doing. But he's also doing it in a wine press. This is not where you thresh because he's hiding from the Midianites. He has lost all hope. He's got a little bit of wheat, probably not a big, a big group, and he's taking it and he's having to by hand take them off while ducking in this little hole, a wine press, to hide from the Midianites, because if they see him, they're going to be like, that's mine, get out of here, right? So it's this humbling thing. It's painstaking work. You really have to understand that this is what Gideon is doing. But it's even worse, because these little ancient wine presses weren't enough to really like move and do it in a good way. So Gideon is from this small clan, he's in this wine press, and he's getting oppressed like crazy. And this is where the scene where the angel appears. So we see this. That one, we can have a little grace for Gideon, okay? Have a little grace as we continue the story. But two, sometimes, and I venture to say often, God is going to call us in our most humbling moments. This is an important lesson for each one to learn. In our most humbling les- moments, God is going to call us to something that we don't think is po- possible. Most often, we as Christians... We want it to be like this. God is going to call me when the time is right. Newsflash, the time is never right. Then he's going to call you, and you're going to say, I, when I have enough money, when I have enough resources, when, I, when, I, when I'm able to uh, retire, the Lord's going to use me, right? You will never have enough money for you to feel that way. You won't. And then you're going to say, but God, you know these skill sets. Use these skill sets for me. Oftentimes, it's not skill sets that you have. He's going to say, in your weakness, I'm going to call you. So Gideon is in this wine press, and many of us can be like this, right? We are in moments in our lives sometimes where we're like, oh, I'm just hiding from what the world has for me. I'm in this wine press. I'm scared. I'm fearful. And the Lord is going to call something out of us, okay? Judges 6, 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay, the angel says two things that are important. Hey, yo, 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 the Lord is with you, and you are a mighty warrior. Now, I venture to say 
that this is probably a title that's probably going to give to him in a future sense because he's not looking like a mighty warrior right now, okay? Now you can see this. Can you relate to this? These moments where God is calling you, he's often calling you and giving you a new identity as well, okay? So oftentimes when he calls you, he's going to say, hey, this is also who I made you to be. And you might be threshing in the wine press like, I do not see it. But he's going to say, you are this, because he often does this. He often says, it's not when the time is right, when you don't have enough money, when you're going to be a superstar, and everyone's going to look at you and say, you are awesome. He's going to say instead, he's going to say, I'm going to give you a different identity, and I'm going to give you what you need to be this identity in this moment. But sometimes it's hard to reconcile with our current realities, okay? So sometimes we're like, Lord, I can't, I am working 80 hours a week just to make rent, right? But the Lord is saying, no, 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 listen to me. You are actually this, and I want you to fulfill this mission. Romans, uh, I mean, uh, Judges 6, 13. He, this is how he responds. Pardon me, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us over to the hand of Midian. Gideon questions the reality of God's presence in Israel under the dominion of the Midianites, and the people had not seen Yahweh work in any great way. Even more reason not to hope. For generations, it seems like he hasn't seen God work in the way that his ancestors have seen, right? Many of us go through seasons of that where we're like, Lord, why are you not moving like I read in the Bible? Why are you not moving like the way that I have always seen you? And so we can say, Lord, you're not with us. You're not with us. But the angel says this, that the Lord is with you and you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon's going to say, no, he's not. You kidding me? Look at us. If the Lord is with us, my life wouldn't be falling apart. My people would not be up in the, in the caves. I would not be threshing wheat in a wine press. What do you mean by that? But here's a question. Is it possible, yes, that God is with his people when things are safe, secure, and we're living happy lives? Yes, but is it also possible that God is with you when your life is falling apart? And Gideon is saying this. Many of us can have this view of God. God is a genie in the bottle. And when I'm praying and I'm asking for things and it doesn't come exactly how I want, God's not with me. But that's not what God, who God is. God is always with us. And when I pray for him, pray to him, and I have a problem, we have to believe that he's going to come through. It's just not exactly how we thought it was going to come through. And so Gideon's in the wine press, and he's saying, the Lord's with you, and you're a mighty warrior, and we're actually going to pull the people out of this oppression. But he's like, I don't see it. And many of us have that. So the angel answers him, 614, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? He asks this again, but Gideon gives him one more, but pardon me, but pardon me. I like how polite he is. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. Now he's, he's talking to an angel, right? But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. And Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in the eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Okay, please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. 
when you get a call, sometimes this is okay to respond this way. I, I don't know how else to say it, but like that's how I was in England. After I got that call, I was like, Lord, if that was from you, it's okay. But if it's not, it's totally good. Like I'll take it off. You don't need it, right? Pardon me, but if you're with this, then give me more signs because I don't want to just walk in faith on this one word, right? And so we see for a third time, God says, I will be with you. And Gideon asks, okay, okay. Let me just bring this offering, okay? Let me bring this offering, and I'll put it before you. And the Lord replies gracefully. He's not like, no, it's over. He's like, no, no, no. You can do this, okay? He's gracious. So Gideon goes inside, and he prepares a goat, okay? He prepares a goat, but I don't know how long this takes, but I imagine preparing a goat would take some time. I've never prepared a goat, but I would imagine that it takes some time, okay? And now butcher shops take care of that for us. But we, he makes some. He has enough time to also make this bone broth and some unleavened bread. Okay, and so we see this that the angel tells him to take the meat and bread and pour the bone broth on it and place it on this rock. And so what happens? Judges six twenty one. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared, gone. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he explained, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Gideon seems to be getting it, all right? He's got it. We're, we're there now, okay? Gideon's got it. All it took was bread and meat with a flame coming down, and then the dude I'm talking to disappear. I've seen the sign. I get it. I'm ready to go, all right? You think that's what the story would be, but that's not necessarily what's going to happen. You see this sign of this experience. I imagine that you'd be encouraged hope and faith and trust. I think of it like this way. This building, right? We got this building and it's taking long. We're working on all the all the different things that we have to do. That's totally fine. But along the way, God just keeps confirming things. And it's amazing. A couple weeks after God confirms things, these miraculous signs, these 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 amazing gifts that come or these amazing favor from people that we didn't see coming and and all of a sudden and a week later I'm back on the threshing floor like, "Oh Lord, why are these not coming?" right? But, but just how quickly we forget this, right? So Gideon, he's not, he's, he's not like going against this. He's not going against, he's not running from the calling, but he's saying, Lord, reassure me that you are here in this call. And we see this, this day and age that many of us, one of the problems with it is that we can be like Gideon where we don't know when we're in the presence of the Lord. Does that make sense? Or we're not even seeking it. And so Gideon's like, man, now I see it. You were an angel, you know? But these moments where we lose the significance, because remember, it's important to remember that God is calling each of us to fulfill the mission that he gives. And so we can learn a lot that we can find grace in this calling at the same time. So we continue the story. After Gideon fears for his life, the Lord says, hey, I'm going to do this. And so he makes this altar. And this altar, the name of this altar where he burnt the bread and the, and the meat and then the bone broth as well. He's going to call it an altar, and he's going to call it Yahweh is peace. The altar commemorates this, that peace and soundness and wholeness, which comes when we're under the presence of the Lord. Okay? So this is what he's going to do. Now, Gideon seems to be ready to go on mission. And there's a couple of things that we'll look, is that we'll see as Gideon goes on this mission, we're going to learn a couple of things. The first thing in your own life or in your family or in your people group, we're going to see this with Gideon. Sometimes when we are called to a mission to call people back to the Lord, which we are always on, and many of you right now are walking alongside people who you're calling them back to the Lord, 
you're going to hear this and this is going to resonate true. If you're not currently doing this or you haven't done this in the past, this will seem confusing to you, but I promise that it's true. Sometimes when you're called to a mission to call people back to the Lord like Gideon is, we have to deal with false gods. We have to deal with idols in people's life. Judges 6, 25 through 26. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd and one, and one seven years old. The one seven years old. So there's some things going on here, right? Seven years, seven years. Turn down your, turn, tear, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole, that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Gideon's calling is to deliver his people. He's going to have to fight the Midianites, but the Lord is always after the heart of his people, right? He's always after freedom for all of us, the people outside, out here. He wants freedom for them, all right? So what we see is that when we do this, we have to call people away from false gods. Many of the people in our lives have false gods and idols in their lives, right? God commands him to destroy the altar of Baal. Baal is a general title for a male deity. We don't know exactly who it is, but the Israelite people are, are, are basically worshiping some false god. And so it's important that we, you understand this, that have you ever had this experience of calling people away from their idols? It's oftentimes not very pretty. So the people are going to come after him, right? The people are mad that this is happening, and, and his father doesn't give him up, but it's like, this is what's going to happen, right? When you call people out of addiction, when you call people out of unhealthy relationships, when you call people out of wrong sexual identities, when you call people out of greed or out of selfishness or out of any stronghold in their life, it's not going to be pretty. When you tear down false gods and idols that people have put in their life, they have found comfort in those. They have found strength somehow in those. Even though they're false realities of who God is, we tear them down and it's not going to be pretty. And so if this is our mission, if this is the calling that God is going to give you, we have to pray up and believe that God's going to come through because it's not going to be pretty at first. If you've ever called people out of some addiction or some false God that they're following, it is ugly before it gets better, right? So it's important for us. We see it. Gideon is afraid of his father's house, so he goes at night and he tears this down. Now what's amazing is that when Satan comes in, he can wrap everyone's minds around these false gods. And when we tear them down, this is what's going to happen. All right, so the Midianites and the Amalekites are at the Jordan River, okay? They're coming together, and there's a big horde of warriors, okay? And so the Spirit of the Lord comes over Gideon, and he sends messengers to call all their forces from the different tribes. And so we're ready to go. The battle is coming. He's ready to get it. And so we see this, that Gideon is now starting to look like the mighty warrior. He's seen the enemy. He summons the armies. And let's read on. Here we go. Judges 6, 36. <clears throat> and I deleted that one. So then, all right, Gideon said to God, if you save Israel by my hands as you have promise. He says, if, okay, this is a big if. He's struggling with the call still. Like, if this is true, then poor Gideon, he's not quite getting it. But we see that God's grace is to the humble, because he says, pardon me again, look, I, have a pla- I, I will place a wolf fleece on the threshing floor, 
If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose the next, early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Yes. Then Gideon said, God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night, God did so, all right? Only the fleece will dry. All the ground was covered. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Poor Gideon, going back and forth. I just need a sign. I just need a little help here to get over the hump. How many of us have done this? Seriously. I mean, all the time, right? Yeah. I got a couple hands raised. I like this. I had a prophetic word for somebody the other day. Prophetic words are great, but they are awkward, right? Like they're awkward. There, there's this moment, and you, and you, and it wasn't a great. It was an encouraging word. It wasn't even prophetic, and it, just something that I was supposed to say to somebody, someone that I didn't really know. And we were at this thing, and I just kept coming over and over again. And I said, "Lord, I'll give it, but like make a way for it not to be awkward when I give it." Right? <laughs> well, the person I was supposed to give it to had left, so I was like, "Oh, well." I think I'm in the clear. Then they come back with a couple friends. And I'm like, okay, Lord, great. This is a sign. I'll go. But the, the friends are kind of in the way. This is awkward, right? All of a sudden, both friends go to the bathroom, and there's that person standing there by themselves. And I felt like Gideon. I was like, you know what? <laughs> I see it, Lord. I'm ready to go. And I delivered the encouraging world word. It wasn't anything profound, but it was part of my mission, part of my calling. The Holy Spirit had just dug something up. And it seemed to hit really well. But it was awkward. I didn't know the person. I had to introduce myself before I gave it, right? And it's this weird time that we have. But Gideon seems to be getting it because he gives it to the, the humble. I really do believe that the Lord is gracious to us in these times, but not if we ignore the calling. Gideon never ignores the calling. Many of us ignore the calling. It's very, very difficult. It's okay to struggle with it. It's okay to be challenged by it. It's okay to discern it. It's okay to go back and forth. Lord, what are you trying to do? But many of us hear something or we feel something or someone says something and we completely just ignore it completely. And that's the challenge because we, we may need help to muster up the courage of the faith to carry on, but I believe the Lord is gracious. And one of the coolest things about God is this, that God has the ability to fulfill on the mission while building up our faith muscles, okay? He could just fulfill the mission. That's totally fine. He could just say, hey, I want this person to hear this. I'll just come with fire down and just speak to that person. But instead, he uses us. And part of the reason he uses us is to build up the faith muscles that we need. Because I believe that there's calling in our lives that not only advance the kingdom, but build up our faith muscles. And it's important. I say it over and over again. If you've come for the last like year, you guys are annoyed with me saying this, all right? But as a collective church and as individuals, he is building up our faith muscles to fulfill the mission of redeemed church at this moment. For Gideon, the army is now summoned, and poor Gideon just needs one more sign. But we can relate to this, because life is strange and faith is strange. Let's just be honest. Faith is strange. How the Lord can give me a prophetic call in the central London for a little, no offense to Lakewood, Washington, but a little town of Lakewood, Washington, and he could use, he could use London, England, and some dude that I will never speak to again, again to or never know 
to speak to me about a moment in time that we are now here. It's crazy. It's wild to think. But I had a lot of back and forth with that. A little doubt can creep into the mission, but the Lord guides us through it. And Gideon, in a lot of ways, stands in contrast to what we think of as an ideal leader. Very, very hard for us to understand that all leaders need their courage to be strengthened. All leaders, everyone, but a humble, faithful, God-seeking leader, even with their fallibility, okay, will be contrasted by God's faithfulness and his grace. And that's what we desire, each one of us. It's okay, it's okay, but it's in his grace and in your humility and seeking God that we begin to fulfill this message, this, this thing. Because sometimes in our journey, God will relate to our baby mindsets. It's okay. I have a baby mindset often. So what we see. So Gideon and his army are encamped in the Midianites at the well of Herod. And Gideon's ready to go. He's got the signs. He's got the promise. He's starting to look like the mighty warrior again. And what does God do? Obviously, he starts reducing Gideon's army. Okay? So he's ready. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands as Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles in fear, with fear may turn back and leave from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, 10, 000, only 10,000 remain. So Gideon has put a lot of energy into establishing this mighty army, right? 32,000 people, incredible. He is looking like the mighty warrior. If I had 32,000 people in this church, you'd be like, you got a mighty warrior, right? Like, that's like, whoa, what's happening? I'm just joking on that, by the way. Um, I don't think we'd get the permits for that. He probably is thinking through strategy, building up and training people, right? He's training the men of the army, right? And so the, 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 there's this, this moment where God says this message, you have too many men because God knows our heart. God knows our heart. And this is one of the greatest threats to the church right now. One of the greatest threats is that we confuse God's calling and mission into something that will make us look good. Man, I see it over and over and over again. We have every intention for doing good for God. We just got to make sure we post about it on Instagram and Facebook first. Right? That's not what the Lord is desiring. I promise you. Really important for us to see. We tend to get prophetic words that really could also be translated as flattery, right? Like these moments where you're like, oh, okay, I, I get it, but it could be flattery. And I hope I'm preaching here because God knows the heart and he wants to fulfill the mission while what? Building up our faith muscles, not building up our social media following, okay? Really, really important to say. There are going to be moments that you're going to have and the Lord is going to work through you that you are not to tell anybody about, all right? And so, so the Israelites, he's seen this pattern. He's like, if I send 32,000, this peace time is going to be really short because you've got to be like, look at what we did. Not to take credit. So, there's a, so it could be a vanity project, right? But the Lord says, anyone who trembles, turn back. And I'd imagine looking at the past stories of Gideon, he was probably one of them himself. But they go back, and we, we get left with just uh, two-thirds of the army leave, okay? So imagine the past stories that this is what Gideon's facing. Judges 7, 4 through 8. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will, and I will uh, thin them out at, for you there. Oh, thank you, God. 
That's nice of you. For me, I don't have to do any of the work. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as dogs, lap from those who kneeled down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that have lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. I don't get this one because I, the lapping dog thing is a weird way to drink. Let's just be honest. Like that's not how I would do it. But at this point, you can see that Gideon's probably in tears and in the fetal position. Like, Lord, what in the world? Did you not see how many times I questioned you? And he's going to say, no, I'm going to send these home. But what's going on here? The Lord is looking for mighty warriors who will trust him. Marty and I were talking. Um, it's really interesting. If you think about drinking out of like the lake or the river, right? There's two ways to do it. As I say it, there's the normal way and the weird way, right? The normal way is you get down on one knee, like Gideon, right? And you take, or like, like, like I would, and you take water and you do this, right? But what's happening? There's no trust. You're right here. You're still in fighting position. You can still see anything coming to your left or the right. But what happens when they go down and they lap the water like dogs? You can't see anything. You're full trust that no one's going to come just stab you from the back. These are warriors, right? This is, a, this is a very delicate position to put yourself in, right? They're not too far from the Midianites. And so they're lapping, even though it doesn't make sense, because I would probably be a knee-down guy. I was thinking about it, right? But it's the trust that he's looking for. And you see this, and he thins it out. Now the story continues, and God commanded Gideon to go to the camp of the Midianites and the Amalekites. And God and his... And uh, Gideon and his servant enter the enemy camp, and they overhear this man who's discussing a dream with his companion. In the man's dream, he saw a loaf of bread tumbling and destroying tents within the Midianites' camp. His companion immediately interprets the dream as the Midianites being delivered into the hand of Gideon. Okay, Gideon, a lot of signs, but this is the best sign, okay? Literally, your enemy is like, I'm having dreams about how this dude's going to beat us. Like, if there's anything to confirm it, right? If there's ever, like, hey, this person we're supposed to give a prophetic word to or something, and they come in and say, hey, actually, the, I had a dream last night, and you're supposed to say something to me. It's like, all right, I get it. This is where we're ready to go. And so his, his, his companion immediately interprets the dream. Upon hearing the conversation, Gideon worships and returns to prepare the men for battle. Now the end. Dividing 300 men in three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle. Watch. <clears throat> after, just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets that they blew, and they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held their position around the camp, all the Midianites 
ran crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords, and the army fled. Here's a hugely important faith lesson. Jay, you come on up. Oftentimes, God is going to call you, and he's going to put a mission in your life, and then you're going to have the best laid plans and the best strategies that you could ever imagine, and he's going to do this. He's going to go completely the opposite direction. It doesn't make sense, right? But the Lord always wants the, the credit. He always wants the, the glory, right? Not you. And so he's going to call you to something. You've got to step out and courage. But know that the Lord is going to fulfill on the mission completely different than you ever thought would be possible. Right? It's amazing. This building, I'd say over and over again, we, as an elder team, we looked at three or four other buildings that we thought, man, Lord, this is going to be it. But he had this in mind. And it's so much better. I mean, the busiest intersection in Lakewood. It's so important for us to say, each one of us is going to be hopefully called many times in our life to step up and to step out. But the Lord is going to do the work of advancing God's kingdom. It's not up to you. It's not up to you. It's simply up for, to you to be faithful. Like Gideon. Lord, how are you with me? Look, my people are a complete mess. How are you with me? I'm threshing in a wine press. This doesn't make sense. Lord, I'm finally ready to go. I'm going to call my army. The Lord's going to start saying, you have too many people because the glory is going to be on you and not on me. And he's going to say, I don't even know how this is going to work, but we're going to surround people. And then the army is going to start attacking each other. He's going to fulfill the mission. I just want to make sure that we're open to listening to the calling. Ephesians 4 is a root text for this body. The whole chapter is a root text for this body. How we've set this up, what we're trying to do, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of what? Of the calling of which you have been called. Each one of you have been called. The beginning of the chapter starts with this. To walk a life of humility, gentleness, and patience. To carry out the work placed before you. Not just placed before me, not just placed before the elders, not placed before any ministry leads or staff or the advisory council, placed before you. And here's how it ends. Then we come together, Ephesians 4, 16, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Each one of us, that's why I preach over and over and over and over again. If you're relying on me for this advancement of the kingdom, we're in trouble. I'll do my part, but all of us have to do our parts. Ephesians 4 is all about how the church is supposed to work. And it's each one of you. Some of you are ligaments, some of you are toes, some of you are joints, some of you are eyes, some of you are heads, some of you are fingers, whatever that looks like. But we all come together. And we celebrate what the Lord has done. Each one of us as a whole, each one of our individual efforts coming together and answering that call. So that's what I want to do. I want to pray for us on that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so gracious to us. 
I pray that you start working in and of each person, like Gideon, just to call them to a new identity, something that, they, that you desire them to do that they don't think that they could do in and of themselves. Because when they do, you are glorified, not them. So Lord, that is our desire as a church. Lord, that you would just be helping us to walk out in faith, to step up and to step out when it's our moment, that we would be simply listening to you, Holy Spirit, and what you desire us to do, and then fulfilling the mission, and not worrying about what we look like, not worrying about how we might make a fool of ourselves, not worried about anything other than what you want to do, and that we would trust that you, like the Midianites, going and killing each other, Lord, that you will fulfill the mission when we don't think that there's any way that you could. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.